happy 4th of July. I mean, this is the weirdest Independence Day weekend ever, right? I love Independence Day. I always have, I mean, the cookouts, the fireworks. I remember as a little kid, my parents would take me in downtown Richmond and Maymont Park, and, and it would be so awesome but loud, and they would cover my ears. And, and then I remember being a parent and having little kids of my own and, and covering their ears. And I just love all of the celebration. I mean, it's a birthday party for America. What an awesome thing, right? Uh, plus, I love the fact that on Independence Day weekend, everybody dresses like me, red pants, blue shirts, and if you've been a part of Northland for any amount of time, you know that this is what I wear every day. So to find a time when everyone's dressed like me and we're twinning is just my favorite. But really, what I think is the coolest thing about, about this weekend, Independence Day weekend, is that it's all about freedom. I mean, I'm not sure that there's a more cherished or beloved word to an American than freedom, right? And we know where this comes from. Um, freedom in this sense, all the way back to that first July 4th in 1776. It actually, Actually, this really started July 2nd in 1776 because that's when the Continental Congress voted to declare independence from Great Britain. It took them a couple of days to actually write the document that we know, the Declaration of Independence. And it's an amazing thing, and I want to read you out of the beginning of it what this declaration says. This comes out of the preamble, and it says this, We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But that's just the preamble. That's the part that explains, hey, so we're writing this document. The real meat and the substance of what the document is hoping to achieve is in the conclusion. Let me read that to you as well. It's at the end of the document, and it says this, that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved. That, that's the purpose of the Declaration of Independence, to declare freedom from the British. And it happened. And that's what we're celebrating, this narrowly defined sort of freedom, freedom from the British for what the co-founders thought was necessary for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And you know what? For nearly 250 years, we have succeeded at that. We are still free from the British. And we have achieved one kind of freedom, an important one, national freedom. But that's not the end, right? That's just the beginning, this national freedom. And along the way, we realize that some of those ideals in that founding document, we haven't really lived up to. I mean, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Let me read to you part of this poem by Langston Hughes. Uh, he's a black poet from the early 20th century, and he wrote, Oh, let America be America again, the land that never has been yet, and yet must be, the land where every man is free, the land that's mine, the poor man's, the Indians, the Negroes, me, who made America, whose sweat and blood, whose faith and pain, whose hand at the foundry plow in the rain, must bring back our mighty dream again. It's an amazing poem that he wrote, published in the 30s. And I love it, and I appreciate it because it helped me see the gap between what we wanted to be and what we were. I mean, all men created equal. You know, in the first census of America, more than 40% of South Carolina's population were slaves. That's almost half of the people in South Carolina. Equal? And all men are created equal? I mean, what about the women? You know, they're are some gaps, some terrible gaps. And it, this has never been a perfect union, right? Despite our success at breaking away from Britain, 
Um, and we started, though, taking this created equal part more seriously, looking to be a more perfect union. And so there were protests. There was work done. Steps forward, steps back. Our country split, almost, a civil war over this lack of equality. And the Constitution was amended, suffrage and civil rights. And we started to experience something of a second kind of freedom, a social freedom. We had the national freedom, and the social freedom isn't green yet because we're not there. We're still in process, right? We're still in process. Because here we are where women earn an unadjusted 82 cents to the dollar of what men do, and racism we can see in the news is still, is still there. But it took us a while to get the national freedom, and I'm hopeful if we continue to work, we'll land the social freedom too. But you know, we're not here for history class. We're not here for social studies. That doesn't mean that these things aren't important, mind you, because if we work towards justice like the Bible tells us, we will always lay down a seedbed for freedom. But what we're really here to do is explore the kind of freedom that we have at an even deeper level a need for. The kind of freedom that Jesus was talking about when he said, when he said that the truth would set us free. The truth will set you free. What kind of freedom was Jesus talking about? Well, you know what? He wasn't talking about national freedom. We learned that a few weeks ago when Pastor Sean talked about Palm Sunday. People wanted to make him king of Israel, and he was not interested, was he? Because he knew that there was a bigger kind of freedom that people needed even more. Even more. So that's the freedom we're going to look at this week in our text in John 13. And this week for some of our readings, I've asked some of our young families to read these scriptures for us. So join me now and let's listen to the Cardonas read for us out of John 13. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that this hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he had loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel he had around them. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, Unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, Then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, A person who is bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet, to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you, for Jesus knew who would betray him. This is what he meant when he said, Not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master. Nor, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. 
Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. So, it's good to have a family read that, right? So there's a lot in this story. And, and the Judas part, which is kind of crazy, Pastor Gus is going to preach about that next week. You're not going to want to miss it. But this week, I want to dive into the whole foot washing piece. Because foot washing, it's kind of crazy. So hey, no matter where you are right now, show of hands, how many of you have gone over to a party where the host said, hey, I'm glad you're here. Take off your socks and shoes. I'm going to have my servant come over and wash your feet. And I know I'm not in the same room. I can't see you right now, but none of your hands are up. I know that because culturally there are some big differences between Bible times and now. And this is one of them. See, back then people wore sandals, not socks and shoes, sandals. And they would go around and their feet throughout the day would get dirty and grimy and gross. And when they went to visit a house, they'd take the sandals off because as bad as the feet were, the sandals were even worse. And if you went over to a party or to the home of somebody who, who had servants, when you walked in, the servants would wash your feet. And why is that? Because they didn't want you walking around with gross feet everywhere. And so this was a kind of a normal thing that Jesus would have um, been modeling for them. The kind of experience that they would have been used to having, except foot washing was not the thing that the host did or that even a friend did. It was servant work. And here Jesus was doing servant's work. You know, this story never really landed for me because foot washing is only a thing I would experience in a church. But there are a lot of servant jobs that I experience all the time, I think. And so I asked some friends to help me think through what are ways that we experience people serving us? And I got a lot of different things. And I wonder what you might think of. There's a lot of jobs out there, right? And some of the jobs I heard from people were things like uh, doctors or nurses, um, first responders, teachers, all people who do serve, but they serve from a place of prestige because those jobs we look up to. And what Jesus did wasn't prestigious here. When he washed feet, no, he was kind of almost debasing himself and doing this, this servant work, the kind of jobs that are useful and necessary, but not the kind that you aspire to do. And often the kinds that you think might even be beneath you or that might at best be a stepping stone. So what are some jobs like that? Well, I asked people, we got some ideas. For instance, for instance, imagine, imagine Jesus as a garbage man. I mean, it's necessary, it's helpful work, work that people might think of as beneath them. And imagine Jesus doing that, garbage man Jesus. You can see what I did, classical art over a photo of a garbage man. Garbage man Jesus, and, and listen with me as I read through what Peter says now. It's a little different, right? Because Peter would have said, no, you will never take my garbage. And Jesus would have replied, unless I take your garbage, you won't belong to me. And you see why Peter had some reservations. I do because I would have. I mean, I don't want anybody coming to get my garbage. It's smelly. It's gross. It's the stuff I throw away. There are diapers from my kids in there. No, I don't want you back there. And if if you were going to come and get my garbage, I would make sure that it smelled better. There'd be crushed flowers. The cans, instead of being dinged up, would be brand new. And I might be out there with muffins for you to tell you thanks. But that's not the way it works, right? We don't know the people who do this kind of work for us most of the time, do we? And so we're a little bit more comfortable with the access they have, with what they see about our lives, even the garbage, because they're a little bit distant. And here Jesus was smashing that distance and Peter couldn't handle it. And it's not just garbage man Jesus. Maybe that one doesn't connect to you. Maybe instead what helps is thinking about drive-through Jesus. Drive-through Jesus, you drive up, you put in your order and they deliver you your food. But have you ever thought about what, what the person at the drive-through sees of you? 
you know, they see right into your car. They can see if you've got one other bag of food or 10 other bags still in there. They can see what's in your cup holders and what you're wearing, the questionable, fashionable choices that you've made. And they can hear the way you talk with the other people in the car. They can hear your, your phone calls. They hear what you're doing and they can even see when you decide to order an extra milkshake just for you, which in my case is a mistake I make way too often. Now they have a lot of access that again, we're only comfortable with because we're not actually engaging with them very often as people or peers that we know. Or what about, what about, what about delivery driver Jesus? I love this one, it's the Last Supper, bringing me some packages. You know, I was actually at a friend's house, my, my wife and I and our kids with some friends a few weeks ago, having some great Jesus time. And while we were there, FedEx truck pulled up and that driver took the package and just booked it up front, knocked on the door and I was sitting there. So I went and opened the door and they gave me the box and ran away and it was a giant wine box. And I turned to the group and, and my host, the wife, she was so embarrassed. She was like, oh my gosh, no, no. And she opened it up. She's like, oh, it's just closed. It's just closed. Um, she was so mortified that I received this giant box of wine. But you know, the delivery driver see all of the stuff that we order. They see where it comes from. They know where we're shopping, what we're buying, and they know how much we're buying. And sometimes when they knock on the door and we open it, they see inside our houses and they see us, hopefully at least wearing a robe, but there's a level of intimacy and access that, that we have with people that are serving us this way that makes things a little awkward, but that's part of what Jesus was talking about, right? I mean, unless I take your garbage, you won't belong to me. Unless I take your order, see in your car, hear your conversations, you won't belong to me. Unless I deliver your packages, see what you're buying, know where you're shopping, see in your home, see in your robe, you won't belong to me. In fact, I think we could paraphrase what Jesus was saying here like this. Unless I have access to your whole life, including the parts that you keep hidden from your peers, from everyone else, unless you're vulnerable enough that I can step in and tackle the problems that have to do with the everyday life and the everyday grime, you won't belong to me. That's what Jesus is doing in this. He's not just washing feet. He's making a statement about the kind of intimacy and access he needs to have through serving us. And that was his everyday life, everyday access, everyday grime, and everyday stooping down, sliding his arms and lifting us up out of the things that were pressing us down. And you remember, I told you that we were gonna see what kind of freedom Jesus came to offer. Well, who was Jesus? Who was he? Who is he? King of kings, Lord of lords. To these disciples, he was their teacher. He was the Messiah, the Messiah a person of great privilege who could have done anything with his life, the best friends, the best lifestyle, everything is what he deserved, right? Everything. And what did he do? Well, we can see in Philippians right here. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Look at this. He gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position. He gave up the freedoms he was entitled to and humbled himself to be a servant. And those disciples, what had they just seen him do? Lazarus was dead and Jesus raised him and made him alive again. They just saw him do the most amazing miracle anyone had ever seen. They got 
the freedoms and privileges he was entitled to. And here he was washing their feet. What in the world is going on? Jesus, with all of those rights and freedoms, chose to take the posture of a servant. And even more, what did he tell us to do? He said this, since, since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. So we're free to become servants, right? I mean, Jesus the Messiah, that's what he did. He took the posture of a servant and called us to do the same. And it's important to remember who we are because we are sons and daughters of the God Most High. We are adopted into the family of God when we follow Jesus. That is part of our role and identity. And it's a really important thing to remember. It's like what Pastor Matt said. Anytime we sit on the chair of faith and really follow Jesus, we we become new beings. In fact, I love how Jesus put it in John 8. I started reading that earlier. Let me read more of it to you now. You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But we're descendants of Abraham, they said. We've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you'll be set free? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin and a slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. You are truly sons and daughters of God. But we start from a place of slavery to sin. No matter what our national or social position might be, every one of us is in bondage to sin. Every one of us, our tendency to fail, the mistakes that we make, the hurt that we cause others and ourselves, our sin has put us into bondage. And that is why Jesus came, to free us from that. But remember, freedom isn't just about what you're free from, right? Freedom is about what you're free to. And good news, Jesus has also told us what we are free for. So let's listen to my friends Megan and John. Read this passage and tell us what we are free for. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Galatians 5, 13 and 14. That's it. Use your freedom to serve one another. Use your freedom to serve. And listen, Paul isn't making anything up that Jesus didn't say himself. In fact, we can hear exactly where that quote came from. Um, I asked my friends, the Claire's, to, to read this passage out of Matthew 22. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22, 37 through 39. So that's what you heard, right? And we've talked about Jesus telling us to do what he did, but he wasn't saying to go wash feet, was he? No, what Jesus was telling us to do was to go and love like he did. Love God, love your neighbors. Use your freedom to serve. He's saying serve like I did. 
In fact, he was really clear about that. We can see in John 15, 13, Jesus himself said, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And I used to think that this meant laying down in the sense of dying because that is what Jesus did. But Jesus meant something even better because this word lay down comes from the Greek, um, tithemi, and that word actually means to rearrange, not to die, but to rearrange. You can, in fact, read it like this. There's no greater love than to rearrange one's life for one's friend. It's not about dying for someone. It's about living for someone. It's about making the theme of your life someone else's life. In fact, that's what we get. Tithemi turns into the word theme. And do you know who makes somebody else's theme the theme, or somebody else's life the theme of their life? Servants do. It's exactly what a servant does. They make someone else's life their life's theme. And you know what? I think you could probably paraphrase all of the stuff that Jesus said around this idea of follow me and then love other people. Follow me, love them. That's basically what Jesus is telling us in all these passages. But I got to warn you, doing that, it's expensive. It's hard. It's costly. And we can see that because in the very next story that we'll encounter, which Pastor Gus is going to talk about next week, Jesus took on another servant job of serving people food. And do you know what he did in that moment? He served Judas, knowing that Judas was about to betray him. I mean, the hurt and the heartbreak that Jesus must have gone through in that moment. But he still did it. Jesus took the posture of a servant to all sorts of people. He did it to everybody. He served anybody who needed it. In fact, that's how he made disciples. And that's what he told us to do, right? I mean, this is the Great Commission, which we can hear from Jason and Renee out of Matthew 28. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28 verses 18 to 20. So make disciples of all the nations. And how? By serving them, just like Jesus did. This is the template that Jesus has given us. And if you're into Jesus, if you're into disciple making, if you're into evangelism, if you're into anything having to do with Jesus, I got to tell you, what he just gave us is the template for that. It all happens through serving people. But I got to pause here with a warning. And it's an important warning because freedom is a word we misunderstand all the time. And I got to tell you something that might make you a little angry, might make me a little unpopular, and that is okay because it's something we need to hear. And all I ask is that you stick with me to the end. Open your heart, open your ears, and remember that we are family, right? Because this is something that family, you and I, we need to hear. You know, there's never been a better time in my entire lifespan than right now to tell the world about Jesus. There has never been a better opportunity for revival in our country and in our communities than right this moment, right? I mean, COVID and protests and racism, economic meltdown, um, fear and anxieties and all the things that are happening, all the things that are happening. There's never been a better time to let people know what it means to love your neighbor to let people see what it means to love like Jesus first and often and without reservation or hesitation. And you know what? 
the church is missing it. We are missing this moment. Do you know why? We're missing it because we are afraid. We're missing it because we have confused the freedom that Jesus called us to with the political power and favors that we have. And we're so worried about losing these freedoms and our autonomy that we're unwilling to embrace this. And autonomy, the the freedom to write laws, it's not even a thing in the Bible. I mean, that's not why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come so we could have that. He came to actually free us from the condemnation for failing to meet the laws that God had already written. We can't even keep up with the moral law. That's why we're struggling in the first place. And Jesus came to offer us that freedom, but we're so hung up in all of this other stuff that we're missing it. I mean, Jesus died so that we could be free from the bondage to sin, but also from a life built around ourselves and our preferences and our own desires and comforts. But we're stuck there. And we're missing this moment because we're so worried about seeming like we are on the wrong team. We're worried about what people will think of us. Maybe they will think we're not Christian enough. We're not holy enough. We're too liberal, either politically or or with our orthodoxy. And we're so worried about losing the stature and the status we have in other people's eyes, the esteem that we feel like we've built up, that people may not like us as much, that we're unwilling to take any basic and still radical steps of faith. At best, the evangelical church in America is sliding into the worst behavior of the disciples when they were consumed with their status, when they thought that Jesus came to give them more power, at at best. And at worst, we are becoming the Pharisees, perverting the gospel for our own self-protection and rearranging the story of Jesus to make sure that we have all the power. Meanwhile, look at the world around us. Do they seem like they need our blessing? Like they want our approval? Like they're all that interested in what the church has to say in the context of all the things going on? I don't think they really care about the shame we're sending out either, right? But you know what the world does need? The world needs our Jesus. The world still needs rescue and relief and redemption that can only come through the freedom that Jesus came to offer us all. But that's not what we're, not what we're sending out, is it? The world needs the kind of freedom that only comes through experiencing real love and real servanthood. And that's not what they're getting either. They're not seeing the practical work like what Jesus did where he forsook forsaked all of his earthly freedoms for the sake of becoming a servant. I mean, Jesus was willing to serve Judas. Judas, who am I willing to serve? Who am I not willing to serve? Am I willing to serve someone who is a hardcore Republican or a hardcore Democrat? Am I willing to serve a black man or a white woman? Am I willing to become a servant to a queer couple or a straight family? Somebody who is a fellow believer, a saint? Am I willing to serve someone who is still yet an unrepentant sinner? Because Jesus was willing to serve all of those people without precondition. He was willing to love all of those people before they loved him back. And he did it to the point of death. And the church sometimes doesn't even seem like we're willing to love people with part of our lives. And listen, all this stuff isn't just aimed at 
them, the evangelical church, though it's true. And these are not just things I'm saying about us, Northland, though too often it's true. But these are things that I see in my own life. This is a confession, failures that I see. I saw it even recently. My wife and I, for Juneteenth, went on a march around Sanford, part celebration, part, um, I don't know, protest, I guess. A friend asked us to go with, and we did. We walked around town, and we got to a point where we were right in front of the business that we own, and we're standing there in downtown Sanford, and a neighbor leaned over and just said, gosh, you're so brave to be out here. As recognizable as you are with your red pants, everybody sees you and knows you. All these people looking, because the other business owners that are outside, our other neighbors who weren't participating in this march were standing there looking. And she said, you know, you're so brave to do this. And I think it was a compliment, and I appreciate it. It meant a lot to me in the moment. But then in the days that followed, I started taking it a little differently because I realized that I wasn't brave. I realized I haven't done the right thing the right way very often at all. In fact, I haven't served people when it was inconvenient. I've skipped out on being a servant to people because they've hung me out to dry. I've been unwilling to love them first until they apologize, I guess. I've picked my own needs. I've picked my own safety. I've prioritized my own comfort, my financial independence, my autonomy, my freedom, my little bubble. And I've put all of those things too often above serving people well. And when you get right down to it, My priorities have not lined up with the examples or calls of Jesus. And I'm sorry. I've embraced a lesser gospel too often. And I've done it because it's so appealing. I mean, that lesser gospel, whatever it is, it might just be religiosity. It might be nationalism. It can be any number of things. But fundamentally, it's some alternate gospel that's a lot easier, more palatable, that makes me more acceptable to other people, and that costs me less but misses out on the glory of the gospel of Jesus. It doesn't require I serve people or set aside my freedoms for anyone. But listen, look at what Paul wrote in Romans 1, 16 and 17. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. By faith. And if you're angry with me about this stuff, hear that the failures that I'm talking about, they're not new to you or me or us. These are failures the first church dealt with. That's why Paul's writing this, because people wanted things to be about their own power, not about God's power. This passage was a rebuke. Most of the Bible, the epistles, they're rebukes to people who were doing it wrong. Take comfort that we are not unique in our failures. And hear the good news, that the freedom and work that Jesus called us to, it's not about our power. It's not about any lesser gospel. It is about pure and simple Jesus and Jesus alone. Listen with me to this passage out of John 3, 16 and 17. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. That's it, isn't it? I mean, who's gonna save the world? Is it me? No. Is it you? No. Is it us? Again, no. I mean, who's going to save the world? It is Jesus. It is just Jesus. 
we're not the heroes that the world needs. Jesus is. But if Jesus from that position was willing to take on the role of servant and then decided to tell us to be servants too, then we are the servants that the world needs. And when we do those jobs, when we step into those spaces and set aside all of our freedom and privilege and rights for the sake of loving someone else at cost, then we're going to get to see firsthand the kind of change and transformation that God will bring about to the world, the redemption and rescue that it needs. And I know this is true because I have been seeing it happen firsthand within my own community where I live. See, just, I don't know, a month and a half ago, we went through a pretty awful tragedy. I had some neighbors, Aaron and Amanda and two little girls. They lived just a couple blocks away from me. And one day, Amanda and the girls were driving to the beach and she was in a terrible, terrible car accident. My next door neighbor, her best friend, texted me and said, hey, could you pray there's been an accident? And I sent out an email, some texts, and listed people who prayed faithfully. And still she passed away. She's about my age, two kids, eight and two. And it's been awful, utterly terrible for our entire community. She was that person that linked everyone together. She was fun and full of energy and, and always, hey, let's do this cool thing. And I would see her walk by with her girls three, four times a week. They would go swimming next door at the house. I could hear them all the time. I mean, these people were fixtures in my life and in my community's life. And then she was gone like that. And it was awful. And in the midst of it, a mutual friend started one of those GoFundMes. You've seen those before to help the family because especially with COVID, everything's been so hard. And so I shared it on my Facebook page. And then I started refreshing. And you know what I saw? I saw some of you, parts of Northland, people who don't know that family at all, but that know me and saw this, start to give money to help them. 20 bucks here, 50 bucks there, $200. And I saw a, a family of people come along and, and love with great generosity, Aaron and his girls, as they suffered through the grief of loss that none of us can imagine. And Aaron noticed and couldn't help but wonder why people were loving so generously. And then they realized that the girls needed car seats because they were ruined in the accident. So in Northlander, she and her mom went out to Target right away and brought two beautiful new car seats and just handed them over. And another friend, another Northland family, had just refinanced their house, which means you get a free mortgage for a month. And, and they heard this and decided what they wanted to do was convert their mortgage into that family's mortgage and give that gift. So the husband drove over and he and I walked down and handed Aaron an envelope for his mortgage. He just couldn't understand why people would love and care for him, strangers, in that way. And then at Amanda's funeral, it's a guy here who ushers almost every weekend when we actually get to gather and holds the door open. And, and he had some particular knowledge and skills that he was able to call Aaron a couple times and help him navigate some stuff. And there we were at the funeral and he had called me and said, can I come anyways? I don't know them, I don't know your community, but could I, could I just come and be part of their grieving? And I checked with Aaron and said, yeah. And he showed up with his mask on, with his gloves on. And do you know what he did the whole time? He ushered, he held open the door for everyone, took this position in the corner in the shadows and just helped other people in a season of grieving. And they noticed how well they were loved by this community who showed up and acted like Jesus for them. And what do we get from all this? I don't know, nothing. Well, except 
This is the work that we were made for, right? I mean, this is what we are here to do, to love people this way. This is why Jesus gave us freedom. This is the freedom that we have and the work that we have our freedom for. And I got to tell you, when I step into this kind of work, it is always a joy for me. And when you step into the work and relationships that God has for you, you will experience his delight as well. It's just how this works. This is what we were made for. So here's the question. What's it look like to be a servant now? I mean, take a couple of these ideas and maybe run with one of them. Maybe, maybe the way you can be a servant is to take the worst chores in your house and do them. Maybe it's the, the one that shows up over and over again, like doing the dishes or just a gross one also, which could be doing the dishes. So maybe you just do the dishes for a little while. Um, or maybe, maybe you wear a mask. I know some of y'all don't like masks, but if you can wear one, even if you think it's dumb, even if you think it's impugning on your privileges and your freedoms, maybe you just decide to wear one anyways because it might help your neighbor. And even if it doesn't help their body, it might help their heart. Even if it's a cost and sacrifice to you. Maybe you pick up some groceries for someone. Maybe when you're at the grocery store, you'd take all the carts from the parking lot and put them away so that that employee doesn't have to do it. And I know COVID, yeah, but bring some Purell. You can just wash up, it'll be okay. Or maybe you just call somebody who's lonely. Pick up the phone, block out half an hour and ask them how they are. And then at the end, make plans to call them again and then actually do it. You know, I don't know what way you can serve, but let me tell you this, Jesus, sometimes he served people that he met along the way. But in this story, he served the people that he had known for years. None of that was a surprise to him. None of them were surprised. He knew them well. So take a minute and think with me. Who, who can you serve this week ahead? Who's somebody in your life, in your heart, that you can decide to take that posture like Jesus did? Who can you serve? We can just look back to the example of Jesus, right? I mean, he didn't put qualifiers out there. Judas sent Jesus to his death and still Jesus loved him. Jesus served people that were traitors like Jesus. And Jesus served people who were followers. And Jesus served friends and foes alike. So be thinking, who can you serve? And you know what? This week, this week, maybe go do it. Take that first step. You know, Jesus gave us a roadmap to be fully alive. And we've just heard it today. We've heard it through those videos. He gave us a path forward so that we could know how to experience and embrace the greater gospel, setting aside all the lesser gospels. And let's listen again, briefly, to the words of Jesus to see what this greater gospel looks like. Since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, I, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. So that everyone who believes will not perish, but have eternal life. Do as I have done to you. Go, Go and, and make, make disciples, disciples of, of all the, the nations. nations. Follow me and love them. And you can see it right out of the words, right out of the mouth of Jesus right here. What it is that is the greatest gospel the world has ever heard. This, this is the life and the truth that will set us free. This is what we were made for, family. And we will experience real freedom in real life when we embrace 
this. When we become the people who go out and serve like Jesus did, it's not about an attitude or posture, but it's about the real practical work of serving people and loving them like Jesus has done for us. And then rolling up our sleeves and doing it for them.